Uh, before we start in the reading, I would like to um, let you all know that we are blessed to have Bob Hunt with us. He is a teacher, a pastor, a director of finance for Zion's Hope, and he is here to speak to us about the end times and how our country fits in. Uh, you can find more of his teaching on the Zion's Hope website or in Zion's Fire magazine. Now, our reading for today is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the first 11 verses. Uh, feel free to uh, follow along in a Bible in the pews or one you brought yourself or just be blessed by listening. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Father God, you are proven right in so many ways that any reasonable person today can see that this country and this world are broken. What would have been considered insanity 10 years ago is now mainstream. And I am looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and cleans up this mess and takes us to be with our forever home with him in heaven. Thank you for giving us the security that, uh, that any believer in Christ uh, has a home in heaven and will escape this wrath. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your holy word, and the preaching of the same. Thank you, Lord, for bringing Pastor Hunt with us this morning, and please put in his heart what you would have him and his mind, what you would have him teach us, and help us to have ears to hear and to take to heart what we are taught today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. And thank you for that introduction. I am uh, Bob Hunt, and I, don't always, I always want to remember my wife, Dawn, who is sitting here in the front row and has accompanied me this year. As you know, that uh, a man is nothing without his wife, right? Come on, man, you need more of enthusiasm than that. And so uh, we thank God for the wives that we do have. Uh, I do work for Zion's Hope, a ministry started by Marv Rosenthal, who's now been with the Lord for about a year or a little over a year. And ministry is taken very strongly and well by David, his son. Marbeth still works there at Zion's Hope in the accounting department. And so um, it's, it's just a joy to be with you all. We do, do a lot of teaching. We produce a magazine, Zion's Fire, uh, which your pastor has put in an article or two over the years. Where is he? They Steve. Uh, I don't know what I... Do we need to turn this up? Do it closer. Okay? We good? This technical stuff. Um, i got to ask you how you got in the article. I can't seem to get an article in, but that's okay. Uh, one of the things we do is we reach out to the uh, Jewish people in Israel. Uh, we have a team of missionaries there who are Israeli citizens who have been there. 
Uh, Marv started that years and years ago, decades ago, and it continues. There are churches there um, that Marv was integral part of planting, and they continue to be there strong. Uh, although a very minor part of the Israeli culture, uh, there's two churches that we are closely associated um, with. And we've had a couple of missionaries pass away over there, but we've also had some come up also. And so they have been, uh, Tony Simon, I don't know if you remember his name, but he was a, a strong evangel- evangelistic type preacher. Um, he was our John the Baptist, so to speak. Uh, he, would, he would come up to you, and I remember he used to say, hey, your shoelace untied, do you know where you're going to go to heaven if you fall? <laughs> They'd come up with stuff like that. But his son, Joshua Simon, has now taken over as pastor of his church and also has joined our team, too. So... The uh, ministry, although some of the players have passed on, have continued. And so the uh, organization does retain a very Jewish um, flavor to it, and I love that. And so we all gather, as I would say to our Saturday night group, I teach a Saturday night group, I would say, praise God, Yeshua HaMashiach. Yeshua is Jesus' Hebrew name, and HaMashiach means the Messiah. So we come and we praise him this morning. We're going to be looking at chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. And if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn there. We're going to be looking at the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes in the north. And I want to look at their decline because I believe and feel strongly that our nation also is in decline. And as we were told, we don't want to be asleep to what God says about that. And we can see the declines of nations all around us, but it it burdens my heart to see what's going on. Uh, So this is not a message of, of one I would say I'm very happy about, but it's one that we need to be real with, and we need to pray for our, our nation. And as we look at the northern tribes of Israel we'll notice that they ignored God's word. They ignored God's word. I'll start right there because as a nation, we also, I believe, not everybody, but as a nation and as a whole, we are more and more ignoring God's word. And so I'd like to take a look at uh, Israel, their, their collapse, their failure in light of what's going on in our country also. So if we could uh, go next, I want to look at the uh, next slide, and we'll see, there we go. I did a little research to see what the history teachers say are the, what, how a nation progresses, and as you can see, it starts with pioneers, they call it an outburst, so the ones who started it, it starts with a war, next will be number two. It goes to commerce or growth, then it turns into being wealthy. I mean, you can hear our nation in this, can't you? But these are natural, historical intellectuals who put this together. The number five is intellect. We get smart and innovative, sometimes too smart for our own riches, right? It's an old colloquialism. Uh, The next one is six, decadence, immorality, then a weakening of the nation until finally there's a collapse. If you look at that, I know we've already decided where we are. Um, We obviously haven't collapsed yet. We're still here. I would say we're in the weakening stage, if that was me, and that makes me nervous. It makes me sad because I love our country. It's a country that has Uh, benefited the entire world, has promoted freedom, has given us a platform to even be here today. And I cherish the freedom we have to be able to speak about Christ freely and not any hindrances. And and I fear that that those days are coming to a close sooner or later. Biblically, we know they will. But these are historical and intellectuals that have come up with these. But as you ponder it and look at Scripture, I think you'll see that it's more of a moral failure in God's eyes. 
It's more of a sin nature, and it's a judgment of God when a nation falls. And we see that happening throughout Scripture. We'll look at the next slide, and we see here in Leviticus 18, 24, 25, this passage talks about the Canaanites and those who were living in the area before Joshua came in with the Israelites and conquered the land. The land was not conquered, and the Canaanites were not killed because of how good Israel was. It was a judgment by God on the Canaanites. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I will visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. He's talking about the Canaanites. God is bringing judgment upon them because they have become so immoral, so idolatrous that God is closing out that part of their history and is giving the land over to Israel. Israel will also bear the punishment of God's judgment when they become sinful. First Israel, the northern tribes, then Judah, the southern tribes. But then if we see in the next slide, we see that the ones who punished Israel and Babylon, they themselves were punished. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 12, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Syria and the glory of his haughty looks. And I want you to pay attention to those words, arrogant and haughty. Those are positions that these countries have taken in their own life. They're reflecting the people. They're reflecting who they think they are. They have become haughty, and they think that they are the ones that conquered Israel, when in fact it was God. They were simply a rod, a tool of which God used to bring judgment. And then again, later on, the next slide will show that Babylon, with King Nebuchadnezzar, came in and conquered the land of Judah this time. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of Chaldean's pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, the tool that God used to bring down Judah, or the southern tribes, is now going to be taken down by God, and judgment will be had. And if you look in our books in the Bible, you'll see how decadent and how immoral Babylon became. We also know how proud King Nebuchadnezzar was. We remember the, the scene in, that, in the Bible. My point being, God is in control. He is in control of every nation. He decides when a nation will rise. He will decide when a nation will fall. Yes, the history books can give us eight stages of collapse, but God tells us it's the moral collapse. It's the sinful nature of that nation that has led to his judgment. The world will become more and more sinful. The world. And as the next slide will show us, God will judge the world. 1311 of Isaiah, I will punish the world for its evil. I believe this to be an end times verse talking about the nature of where not only our country, but all the countries of the world. You punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud. You can't help but see that running through all of these nations. They have gotten so proud yet so sinful. Bold sin in the face of God. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And that's all nations he will bring that upon. So that's where we're going to start. God is in control of all nations, including the United States of America. He's in control. He gives us the freedom to do a lot of things, but he is ultimately going to decide our fate and our future. I've always thought, and I think my wife has always agreed, that we've always wondered how the end-time events in the Middle East will occur given the strength of the United States of America and its adherence to the nation Israel. I always thought, how, how is that going to happen? 
And one of the ways it can happen is through the weakening of the U.S. From taking away its strength, taking away its influence, taking away its power in the world, we will no longer become a power. It saddens me. I recently saw that we are no longer have the largest or strongest army or war uh, in, the, in the world. We have been passed by China, and we continue our decline. We continue our decline in a moral sense, too. I don't have to tell you that. You already know that. But I think a lot of our country is blind to that aspect or just doesn't care. But when we look around the world today, doesn't God know what's going on in the United States or Russia or China or Turkey? I wondered about Turkey and all the deaths over there. It saddens me to so many lives. Could Turkey be under some kind of judgment of God? Perhaps. I never like to point fingers like that, but I can't say it can't happen. Because God's in, ultimately in control of all of these things, is he not? So if an earthquake happened there, he, he, he was part of the process. Individuals and nations will face God's judgment and his wrath when they sin against him. Individually, we will face it, and as a nation. The only hope we have is in Christ, our Savior. The passage I'm going to look at today is, begins in verse 8 of chapter 9. It's written by the prophet Isaiah. And I want to show you in the next slide how the book of Isaiah starts in 1.1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. I'll stop there. He was a prophet settled in the southern kingdom. Although our focus this morning is on the northern kingdoms, he had a lot to say about the northern kingdoms, but he was located and he lived in Jerusalem. He had a great ministry, a long ministry, as we'll see. He was in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and most people believe even into Manasseh's days, the next king. So he was there for a long time. Today's message was probably pointed at the time of Ahaz, when he was ruling. If you look at where it's placed chronologically in Isaiah, it's coming during the reign of Ahaz, who was not a good king in Judah. But that helps us frame the time. When did Ahaz rule? He ruled from 735 to 715 B.C., roughly, roughly. And we know that Israel, the northern kingdoms of ten tribes, they fell in 722 B.C. That's history. That's a fact. The Assyrians came in, swooped into northern, northern Israel and took them away hostage and planted their own people in there, so 722 B.C. So this message from Isaiah is prior to that, but probably not long before. God is going to really pretty much tell them and us why they were going to be judged in such a manner. As I said, the northern tribes made up of the ten northern tribes of Israel is the focus for today. You will see the prophets call the northern tribes Israel. Sometimes they will call it Samaria. Sometimes they may call it Ephraim. Those are all the same or similar names to the same ten tribes of the north. This message is not about Judah. Judah, at this point, is going to be watching what happened to Israel. Let me ask you this. Did it affect Judah so that they repented? Of their sins? They did not. Does reading our Bible affect us sometimes that as a nation we will repent when we see how God? We don't see that either. But I hope this draws us, at least in this room, to a place where we can pray for our nation, maybe in a special way. In this section, we're going to look at 9 8 to 10 4. It's actually a poem. It's a poem broken up into four divisions, four-part poem. 
And they all end. You know when your section has ended because it ends like this. Look at verse 12 and look at the last sentence. It says this. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. I'll talk about the significance of that, but each of the four sections will end with that section. Why? He's emphasizing something to us. God is telling us something. As he's telling us and Judah and Israel about their sin, you have the picture that he has his anger is not turned away. Why? Why is his anger not turned away? Because they won't repent. So his hand of judgment is stretched out still. So as he goes through this poem, just keep a picture in your mind that God is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah about their sins, but they will not recognize the prophet or the Lord or their sin. So God continues to hold his hand out still. I often wonder, is God's hand out above our nation at this point? I mean, there are pastors preaching in this country today who are preaching the word. There are many, many who are not, but is God's hand stretched out still? In this passage, his hand has not come down, but it it shows God's patience, too. His patience. He doesn't immediately list off some sins and then wipe you out. He gives you warning after warning after warning. So it emphasizes that judgment is coming, but judgment is also being withheld for the moment, giving people a time to repent. Remember, just like God sends pastors to our country to preach, like your pastor Steve, to warn you of sin, I know it's not our favorite topic, we'd rather talk about the love of Christ, and I like to too, but sometimes it's appropriate to hold our feet to the fire and say, hey, we're not all what we think we are, and pride enters into our own lives, even as Christians sometimes, and we need to be warned and, and told what the truth of the word has to say. And God did not ignore Israel, the northern tribes. He sent prophet after prophet. Amos. Amos is one of those minor prophets. But he came and he prophesied the word. He actually lived down in the southern tribes. But he preached to his focus, the northern tribes. And he preached to them about their sin. And he didn't mince words. Did the nation Israel listen? Did the ten tribes listen to him? No. They refused to repent, as a matter of fact. But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. In other words, don't preach to me. Don't tell me what God's word has to say. We've got our own life to live. Nazarites are not supposed to drink wine. That's what the Bible said. No, that's okay. They can do that. What's, what's a little wine for the Nazarites now and then? Don't tell me what God's word has to say. Does that sound familiar? Boy, it's back then, 700 B.C. or so. Don't tell me what God... And a lot of churches have stopped preaching God's word. People don't want to hear it. When they're enjoying a lifestyle and rebellion against God, they don't want to hear it. And they will tell you, you Bible thumper, go back into your church. I don't need to hear that stuff from your God. Well, I listed at the bottom of that, go back to that screen, listed at the bottom the three prophets who were preaching. I said there were three prophets preaching to this nation. So they weren't hearing it just from one traveling preacher. They had Amos down south preaching towards the north. They had Hosea preaching to the northern kingdom also. They're all giving the same message. Now Isaiah, he jumps in and he's preaching to the northern kingdom. They had warning after warning after warning. God's hands stretched out still. We have warning after warning what kind of lifestyle God wants us as a nation to have. There's no excuse. 
I told you, he said. All right, that's the introduction. Now let's dig into what it says. Beginning in verse 8, let's read the first section, starting in verse 8, and we'll go down to verse 12. I labeled this section National Disaster for Pride and Arrogance. National Disaster for Pride. See how pride and arrogance always seems to be the highlight of a sinful nation, doesn't it? Pride is probably the worst sin that you can have before God. Humility was where we should be, especially now. Let's read these few verses, beginning in verse 8. The Lord sent a word against Jacob. That would be the northern tribes. It has fallen on Israel. All the people will know. Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria. These are all labels for the northern tribes. Same people. Who say in pride and arrogance of heart. Now listen to what they say. The bricks have fallen down. But we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down. But we will replace them with cedars. You know what they're saying? Who brought that upon them? Who's in control of the world? Yeah, other nations may have done it, but they're tools. So who ultimately brought this upon them? God. And they're saying, they're looking at God, okay, you took it down. We're going to build it back up even better. We're going to build it back up with hewn stones. You may have taken down our our bricks, but we're going to use stones this time. Is that pride in God's face? As the disasters fall upon them and they don't wreck. The disasters were intended to bring the people back to the Lord and they would not repent. Verse 11 says, Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. Now, what we're talking about here in those couple verses is these are the nations closest to northern Israel. God was going to bring these nations against them. In other words, he's going to bring war against these nations as a punishment, as a way to get their attention. And even northern Israel had formed alliances with Rezin, with the Syrians, but they would all turn and they would start eating away at the cities around the northern Israel. The Syrians and the Philistines did not take Israel down. It would end up being the Assyrians from the north. But this is God's way of holding his hand out still, giving them a chance to repent. They were going through national disasters. People coming in, the sycamores were being cut down. I want to read to you from Amos. Again, he's preaching against the uh, people of northern Israel. And I want to look at verse 4, I mean verse 6 through 11 of chapter 4. Now Amos, as you can see in verse 1-1, the words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joas, king of Israel, so the, the north, two years before the earthquake. People have always pondered, what earthquake? But apparently a great earthquake was about to hit northern Israel. Could that be what took down the cities? Who, who sent the earthquake? The Lord. Okay, Lord, you sent an earthquake. We're going to build back better. We're going to make it even stronger. But that's not the only thing that the Lord brought upon He brought more disasters into him. And if we pick up in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Amos, we see, Also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. He sent famine. Perhaps even the earthquake had helped institute all of this. A natural disaster, food supplies, food shortages. They went to their publics and there was nothing there. I see in our country a similar thing happening. Have you noticed that there's things missing on the shelves? Is God sending us 
a message to turn to him, to trust him. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me. In our country, the liberals would say, well, that's climate change. One city is dry, one city is wet. We've got to get control of our own country. But who's in charge of this, really? Yet you have not returned to me. Can't help but look around and see this kind of thing happening in our country. Earthquakes here, fires there, droughts here. I mean, yet you have not returned to me. Are we getting a warning from God the northern Israel did. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees. The locusts devoured them. Your chickens gave no eggs. No, I put that in there. God's taking these things away, their food supply. The plagues are hitting in all of this. Verse 10, I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword, war. I made, along with your captive horses, I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you have not returned to me. One national disaster after another coming and coming and coming against the northern tribes of Israel, yet they have not returned to him. Wake up, America. What do we have to see? We're so prideful. We'll fix it. The disasters can come. We'll rebuild it. The hurricane blew just south of here. We'll rebuild it. Now, I can't say every disaster that happens, but it should make us think of who's in charge. It should bring us to that point where we're thinking, perhaps, it could. It was to this nation here. Pride. Boy, the pride is number one when a nation falls. I'm going to step on a few toes here. I'd like to say it's unintentional, but it's not. So... Lee Greenwood wrote a song, and you'll hear it in the coming months. Memorial Day will run around, and especially Fourth of July. I wish I wasn't up there yet. But he wrote a song, I'm proud to be an American. Now, take this the right way. I am not woke. I do not hate my country. I love it. I said that at the very beginning. But I hate the sinful condition we're in. Am I proud that we are so sinful? We shouldn't be proud of that. So I got my pen out and I started, you know, this is a song that the Israeli people wrote back in the 700s. I was going to sing it to you, but I don't think so. But I'm proud to be an Israeli because God has chosen me. I'm free to worship who I want, no matter what he says. Proud to be who we are. I mean, that's what God's condemning the nation Israel for. So the next time somebody sings that song, you can add in my lyrics, be free to do that, and then run. But we need to be careful of what we're prideful of. Well, God's anger was not turned away in that part of the poem. Let's turn to the next one. This one we'll pick up in verse 13. And I call this one political collapse, corrupt leadership. Now, I know this doesn't ring a bell with any of you. Yes, isn't it funny how the Bible speaks to us? People don't change. Nations don't change. And that's the point. God brought judgment upon his chosen nation, Israel, for the very same things that we seem to be doing and experiencing. 
God said, I brought national disasters upon you. You didn't return to me. My hand is still out. Okay, God in verse 13, let's read it. Uh, For the people did not turn to him. I mean, that's our loving God. He wants us to turn to him. It's not a hard concept to follow. He wants us to seek after him. We are so proud. We are so arrogant. We are so hard-hearted. We won't do that. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off head and tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush in one day. The elder and honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. And the leaders of this people cause them to err. And those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. And everyone, get that? Everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all of this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. That very first sentence in verse 13, they don't seek after him. Israel, as a country, was not seeking after God, not with their whole heart. Oh, they may have had worship services, but they weren't seeking him and who he was. Isaiah 31.1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, not seeking the Lord, and rely on horses, that's their power, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. What's it say in verse 1? Woe! to them who don't seek him. This passage in Isaiah from 13 to verse 17 is all about what God is doing in our leadership in Israel. They were corrupt from top to bottom. The government, the kings, those under the kings, the priests, the religious people were preaching lies They weren't preaching the truth of God's words. They weren't opening up the scriptures or the scrolls back then and teaching the people. They were preaching lies. They preached what they wanted to hear, what they wanted the people, what tickled their ears, in other words. How hard is it to make a connection to our world today, our country today? It has crept in, has overwhelmed, has overtaken our churches, the preaching of lies, not truth. God has cut off. In other words, he's removed leaders. You can see good godly teachers have been removed in our country. I fear the day when I can't point to one that I said he's a godly preacher. One by one, they're disappearing from the pulpits and being filled with younger people, perhaps young men, bringing lies, bringing what the culture wants to hear, what the culture wants to present to us, and they're preaching to us lies. And the people are leading people, the leaders are leading people into sin. They're leading them and causing them to err, it says, to sin. It's filtering through all of the congregation, through all of Israel. It's in our country now, lies after lies after lies. We're not preaching God's word. We're preaching what people want to hear. And now people don't even seek the true God anymore. Beware of the leaders you follow. I want to look at the prophet Hosea. Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to the mitzpah and a net spread on Tabor. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. I still remember the sermon that Adrian Rogers preached long ago. He said, you are, we are one generation away from losing our country because we don't teach the word of God. And that's what this condemnation 
They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God. Let's move to the next one found in verses 18 through 21. I've labeled this one social anarchy. Wickedness running wild, in other words. I know, it's, I'm getting too close to home on this one. Remember, we're going down that collapsed time, and we haven't hit the bottom yet. Verse 18 begins with, For wickedness burns as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns and kindle in the thickets of the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up, and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. He shall devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh shall devour Ephraim, Ephraim, Manasseh. Together they shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned, but his hand is stretched out still. The nation is turning inward against itself. That's what's happening here. Wickedness has run rampant. It burns like a fire. And if you've seen the way fires burn, they just roll across the countryside, taking down everything in sight. It devours everything. Picture wickedness being just like that. Love growing cold in our country. Every man for himself. National greed at a large scale. And look what it says here when it talks about Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Manasseh and Ephraim are the sons of, um, of Joseph. They were brothers. Judah, a relationship. That's the southern. They should be a country, a unified country of brothers together. Instead, it says... They shall eat the flesh of his own arm and devour each other. What does that mean? It's not cannibalism. It means every man for himself. It means, like I said, social anarchy. People running wild. Things like breaking into different supermarkets, taking what they want, killing people left and right to satisfy their own greed. Just social anarchy Running wild, it says, like a fire. Brotherly love has disappeared. This is Israel. This is, I think we've seen it. We saw it in our own country. We're watching it still. Every man for himself. Self-centeredness. Society has disintegrated that it's no longer a unified brotherly type of country. You have to wonder, United States of America... How united are we really? It's running wild. It's, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. Wickedness permeating even the churches. And God's fire of wrath. There are actually two fires in this passage. The first is the fire of sin. Fire of sin as it runs, wickedness burns as a fire, that in verse 18. But God's wrath, verse 19, the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up. That's his fire. God is bringing judgment. And how does God bring judgment a lot of times? By allowing sin to run rampant without stopping it. So the sin, God's judgment could very well be just hands off. You're heading down a path, and it's, it's permeating your country. The minor prophets had something to say about this also. Look at Hosea 4, 1 and 2. There is no truth or mercy. Truth. There, there is no truth, is there? Have you ever heard that? Truth is in your hands if you have a Bible. But we have made truth something that it isn't now. People will tell you there is no truth, and Hosea says the same thing. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. 
By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Hosea may, was, a, was talking about Israel. He may well be talking about our own country. It's running like a wildfire, Isaiah says. Can I, the next slide. <clears throat> Let's look at um, Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, if we can. Can we have the next slide? There we go. Harlotry, wine and new wine enslaves the heart. Again, going after the debauchery that that can bring into your world. Um, we are more and more getting hooked on, on wine. Did you know that? I was reading an article recently that beer has taken second place to hard liquor. I don't know if that surprises you with the younger generation coming up. But I think that that's not going to make us better, but even worse. Look at the next slide, Hosea chapter 8, verse 14. We can have the next slide. There we go. For Israel has forgotten his maker, has built temples. Judah also has multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall be devour his palaces. Again, Hosea is echoing the same words that Isaiah is. Finally, Amos, chapter 6, verse 3 um, through 6. We can have the next slide. There we go. Woe to you. It's never good when a passage starts off with woe. Woe to you who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the song of string instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. In other words, pleasure. You guys have dipped yourself into the pleasures of the world, are so satisfied, but you're not worried about what's happening to your country. That's what affliction, affliction on Joseph Joseph's sons reflect Ephraim, which is another name for Israel. You don't care about what's going on in the world. The world's going to pot, fine. But I've got my wine. I've got my pleasure. For us, it may be sports. Hey, I got my sports. I'll go to the ball game. Yeah, well, the world's going to pot. That's fine. Let it. I got to go do what I got to do, and I got to enjoy myself because life is short. Can't worry about what God's trying to tell me through all of the different things. No man spares each other. The fires are burning, I believe, in our own country. They're running like wildfire across our country. Let's look at the last division here, beginning in verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. I think this would have been better if it had been in chapter 9, but they decided to make it started here. Moral perversion. Wicked people make wicked laws. Wicked people make... Well, I thought that was just a USA problem. Nope, it's been going on for... It was an Israel problem, and God's bringing judgment. Woe to those, it says in verse 1. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away. And his hand is stretched out still. Patient God holding his hand. Who are you going to go to for help? You can't go to the government. It's corrupt. The laws they write, corrupt. They're not God's laws anymore. They're teaching you lies. They're doing lies. Just think of our world. Abortion. Is that God's law or man's law? Gender perversion. God's law 
man's law. How about identity issues? Racial equity? All of these things are unrighteous laws and decrees that we have, and I could go on. There are many, many, many more. The same was happening here in Israel. We already talked about the leaders being corrupt, and now they're writing corrupt laws. God's anger is still there. It's not turned away. Who are you going to go to for help? If we can look at Amos chapter 5, verse 10. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate. They abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Amos is talking about the people in Israel. Don't tell me what the right thing is to do. Can you see how corrupt this nation had become from the top to the bottom, to the laws they were writing, to the wickedness that they had, to the lifestyle they lived? Yeah, sounds way too familiar to me. This is God's chosen nation from Mount Sinai. This will be my treasured possession. What about us as a country? Brings me to my final point, and it's not in Isaiah, but I will use the minor prophets, religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy. During this time in Israel, they still had worship services. They still went to their synagogues. They still opened their arms up and prayed to Yahweh. However, it was all hypocritical. You can't come to the Lord and live a lifestyle that we've just heard. Walk in on a Sunday morning, open up your arms and expect God to be all listening to what you have to say. Yet, that's what's happening in our churches today. Let's listen to let's hear listen to the words of the Lord through some of the minor prophets. Hosea ten two. The heart is divided. That means it's going two different ways. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. You come to the Lord with a divided heart, one in the world and part in the Lord. God's going to just break down that whole worship service. Destroy. That doesn't please the Lord. This is Israel at this time. They thought that they could live the lifestyle on Monday through Saturday or, or back then Sunday through Friday and, and live any which way they want. And then come in on Sunday morning, everything's okay, Lord. No, it's not. Hosea chapter 2, verse 11, the, the next one says this, I will stop all her celebrations, her, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, and all her appointed festivals. We know how he stopped it by destroying the nation, 722 B.C. They no longer had a nation to do these worship services in. God put an end to it. Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Remember, these are the prophets speaking to Israel. Come to Bethel, and this is sort of sarcastic. Come to Bethel and transgress. Bethel's where they would worship. What's he talking about? You mean I go to church and I'm sinning? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. If you come with a divided heart, if you come with a heart that's full of wickedness and evil, if you come with a heart that's rebelled against God, he's saying you're sinning when you come and sit in this pew before me and transgress. At Gilgal, another place where they worship, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every day. Can you hear the sarcasm? Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Well, leaven we know from the New Testament is something sprinkled with sin. Another word we could use. Bring your thanksgiving sprinkled with sin on it. Is this all going to please God? Proclaim and announce the free will offering. For this you love, you children of Israel. Can you hear Amos condemning them? It's coming from the Lord. Yet on and on and on our services this morning, many of them, and I'll step on a few toes, all right, Steve? Many of them being led by women pastors. Timothy says, that's not to be so. That's what God's words. 
oh, that's Old Testament. That's, that's the Bible. That's then. No, that's now. Many of our worship services are led, and this is recent, by homosexuals. Debates going on in churches. Can, can a homosexual lead worship? Be the pastor. In spite of what God's word has to say about the whole issue on homosexuality. About transgenders, the new discussion. I mean, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a he or she, you know, here's my titles. Call me nonsense. God made man male and female. I don't know why this is so hard. Is God going to be honored by a guy getting up there dressed in a dress and trying to lead us? But this is happening and we're applauding it. I go on and on. But sin has infiltrated our religious services. Well, this is going to lead to Israel's collapse. In the next one, we'll have the collapse of Israel. One of the clearest places to see that is in 2 Kings chapter 17, 5 through 18. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go and look at it, but if we can look to the, the slide, just verse 18, turn to, turn to verse 18, we'll see the collapse. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel. Remember, he had held his hand out still. His wrath was angered, but he was being patient. But there comes a point where God's patience has turned to judgment. For hundreds of years, God held his hand out against the nation Israel. But there came a day, 722 B.C., his hand came down on the nation He was very angry with Israel. He removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. So the southern tribe of Judah was left in the south. To this day, I'm amazed by Judah just watching all of this. Knowing. They heard the prophets. They heard Isaiah. They knew why Israel was taken away by the Assyrians. It was spelled out ever so clearly to them. Yet a hundred years later, they did the same thing. But who are we to talk? We have it written down right here. We have Israel. We also have Judah's account of their sinful nature and how God brought judgment on them. I always said, you know, if... If God doesn't judge the United States of America, then he needs to apologize to Israel and Judah. But we deserve the same judgment. Who do we think we are if we're going to sin like the way we sin? Be as prideful and arrogant as we think we are and escape the coming judgment of the Lord? Have we not learned anything from the Bible? Have we not learned anything about God's desire for us to repent as a nation, as a people, as individuals? God doesn't want to bring judgment. He says that he doesn't want any to perish. He has his hand, I believe, out over the United States of America now. I always wondered, you know, wouldn't it be nice if the United States had a revival? Wouldn't that be great? Many pastors say it's too late. That God is enacting Romans 1 and has. He has given us over already. I would pray that that's not so yet because I have kids and grandkids that I would love to see have a stronger walk or even a walk. So I pray that that's that we would have more time. But I see the landscape as we get closer and closer to what I believe is Daniel's 70th week, the final seven years that we have. But what about our country? Is there, is there hope? I don't know if any of you have heard about the 
phenomenon called the Asbury Revival. Anybody here hear of it? Oh, everybody did. Great. What do I think about that? You got to step on a few toes? I would love to think it's real, but it's not. I would love to think that we have a phenomenon spreading from Kentucky out of that little college and spreading across our country and changing the country, but it's not. I could go into great detail of why I think it's not, but let me just tell you, when you have homosexuals, transgenders, leading your revival, I think it's a major step in the wrong direction. When you have music as your impetus to coming before God, where's the word of God in all of this? Any revival I ever heard of started with the reading of the word and the changing of the heart. Not the flowing of music and being led by sinful people. And a little bit of research on Asbury, and you may get in trouble if this goes on the air, but this is like their seventh or eighth one, and, and, and do you know that almost all of them are in February? It's funny how the Holy Spirit only works in February. Could it be that class on revival they take? I'm sorry to be so skeptical because I do wish we could have a true revival, but a true revival will be one based on the word of God, delivered by the word of God, empowered by the word of God through his word. It is told to us through Romans chapter 10. It's his word that will bring salvation. Having said all of that and angered a few more people, how do we respond? You just heard a very dismal passage Is there any hope? God only knows. But let me bring you to Daniel chapter 9, and I'll just put up here a couple of verses. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. The whole chapter. It's a great, great passage on prayer. I'll just give you the backdrop. Daniel knows that the 70 years of exile are coming to an end. Daniel knows that the reason that they had these 70 years of exile, he knows it's their sin, their sin as an individual, their sins as a nation. He knows that. Why? He read it in Jeremiah. Imagine that. He read his Bible. And he said, it's our sin that has brought us to this point. He gets on his knees in this passage of Scripture, chapter 9, and he confesses his sin and repents, not only for himself, but for his people. What a picture of how to start a national revival. If you read that passage, you hear passion, you hear emotion, you hear the word of God lifted up, you hear repentance flowing through the whole thing. Look at just two verses, verses 18 and 19. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in a city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteousness or our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by Your name. Pleading. How do we respond? Daniel just gave us a great example. To come in prayer. Maybe we need to do this individually in our rooms. Maybe we need to do this corporately as churches. And come and gather around the word of God and pray in his name. I highlighted called by your name. Because, you know, in the United States we always say, we're Christians. We're a Christian nation. And I was looking at the Pledge of Allegiance, and I just gave you a little piece of it up here on the board. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. That's what we're declaring. No wonder they want to get rid of this. They're declaring one nation under God. When we say the pledge, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, 
Are we not, in fact, saying we are called by his name if we're under God? If we're under God and if we're going to be called by his name, we need to live by the laws that he's given us. We need to live under him. We need to live for him, seek him, implore him, and just come to him with our whole heart and soul. Is there hope for our country? I don't know. Clearly, we're headed in the wrong direction. But I do know we're one step step closer to coming to the end of all things. And I know the United States somehow needs to be neutralized, and maybe this is it, and maybe it's not. But that's not going to stop me from praying for my nation and for the people in the nation. That's not going to stop me from profiting or prophesying or declaring God's words to the people I know. It's not going to stop me from calling a lie a lie, calling the truth truth, from spreading God's word. It's not going to stop me from being an ambassador for God. I will continue in his strength to do that, and we all should. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this morning, for the word that you've given us through the prophet Isaiah and Amos and Hosea. Lord, we learn that there is nothing new under the sun. Our nation seems to be following a path very similar to Israel's, very similar to Judah's, very similar to many nations. Lord, we look forward to the day that you come. And the clouds break open and you do come. We pray, Lord, and we wait for that time when government will no longer have stages of collapse. There will only be one stage where Yeshua HaMashiach leads us as king of kings, that Davidic king from Israel, from Jerusalem, as we have a kingdom that will have no end and a kingdom of eternal righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We give you praise and prayer and give us a heart to serve and seek you as we go through this week, as we go through our lives, as we look with heads up in anticipation. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.